Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, northliberty.cc, and hit the I'm New button or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life. And we hope and pray that you find that in this message. Today we're going to talk about one of my favorite Christmas songs. Um, In fact, uh, uh, I remember when we were kids, my parents bought the album. You remember the old vinyl records? And uh, we bought, they bought one of those, and it was my favorite album. In fact, my, my sisters and I used to have to fight over who got to take the album with us in the room to sleep at night during the month of December. And I, was, I always won because I was my, pay, my parents' favorite. So, so and, and, and I'm telling you, there's so much spiritual implications behind this particular song. It was just amazing. In the backstory, it talks about, it, it, it rhymes with uh, um, the Heart uh, to Herald Angels Sing, Old Tannenbaum, you know, Christmas trees, really a lot of good backstory to you. And I would encourage you, when you get home today, to look up most of the backstory to this particular song. And it's just simply called Snoopy's Christmas. Okay? <laughs> Beautiful. I'm telling you, it is incredible backstory to the story. And it basically is about Snoopy, who was ordered by his commander to go out on Christmas Eve to fight against the Red Baron, if you remember. But that particular night in World War I, they had a ceasefire on Christmas Eve, and the Germans and the Brits got together, and they enjoyed a Christmas celebration together, where they played football and games, exchanged beer and wine, uh, uh, cheese and, and meat and such, such, things like that. It was just an incredible night, all right? But that's not the song we're talking about today, okay? We're, today, we're talking about O Holy Night, and here is a context and history to this Christmas uh, favorite. In Rockmere, uh, France, in 1843, the church organ had just been renovated. And to celebrate, the, the parish uh, priest um, asked the poet, uh, Placid Capu, to write a Christmas poem from Luke chapter 2. And the, the title of the song was simply Midnight Christian. And the first verse is, Midnight Christian is the solemn hour, hence our O Holy Night. And after the song was composed by, uh, to music by uh, Adolph Adams in 1847, it premiered in Rackmere uh, that, that particular year by the opera singer Emily Lowry. And, and, but it created some controversy because the man who was asked by the Catholic Church to write the poem, Capu, defected from the church and became an atheist living in a very ungodly life. And the composer of the music, Adolph Adams, was Jewish and he didn't even believe in the messiahship of Jesus Christ. And so when the church leadership found out about who these two guys were, they tried to silence the song, but by then, the song had already won over the hearts of the French people. And the church in France was able to ban the song for two decades, uh, but eventually the French people took a stand against the church, and the song was brought back to the public and became more popular than ever before, with the exception of being in a church. And once again, God demonstrates that he can and will work the gospel message through little imperfect people and events, even through a simple song about a holy night 2,000 years ago. In fact, uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, we have the treasures in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing greatness and power is from God and not from mankind. So everything good that happens in our world today comes from the Father above. 
And, but the English version is by John uh, Sullivan Dwight in 1855, and it too became a very popular in the United States, especially during a specific dark history, a period in, in, in American's history about 10 years later, and it too was written to encourage the church, just like Philip Brooks' song, O, Holy, or o uh, Little Town of Bethlehem. This carol, as well, reflects on the birth of Jesus as God's redemptive grace for all of mankind, and I mean all of mankind, and I'll explain in a moment. But I'm going to quickly share the Bible verses uh, behind the song verses that Capu and, and Dwight used to communicate the gospel message of Jesus' birth. And then we're going to kind of go into a slightly deeper meaning and application for the church today. And so he writes, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. And in that same region, there were shepherds uh, out in their fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. From Luke chapter 2. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And, and, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to your wife and ate from the tree of which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field and by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food. Genesis chapter 3. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to, to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of decay and brought into glorious freedom of the children of God, Romans chapter 8. And then you have, fall on your knees, O oh, hear the angel voices, O oh, night divine. O oh, night when Christ was born, O oh, night divine, O oh, night divine. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow uh, on earth and under the earth and in heaven. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, found in Philippians chapter 2. And he goes on to say, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. A new command I give you, I, uh, I love one another as I have loved you, so you, church, must love one another. By this all men, all the whole world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another in John 13, which happens to be one of our core values. Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Philemon 1.16 and sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we with all our hearts we praise his holy name and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God Colossians chapter 3 that's kind of everything in a nutshell if you listen to the first stanza it reminds the church of the reason of our hope Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The Bible teaches that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God as separating ourselves from God and his holiness. And without Christ, uh, uh, we all are suffering, suffocating in our own suffering because of sin and error. And so our soul is pining for something. And that word pining simply means a yearning or a deep desire 
We, are lo we long to be released from the guilt and shame and from the fear of death. And Jesus came to earth to reconcile us to God and to give us hope of the eternal life through his sacrificial blood. And that blood would never have been available without his birth. The annual Christmas celebration is a reminder that hope came to us. That's the message the church is supposed to be communicating with a lost, dying, and sick world. Our message brought to us by God himself in the form of this little baby wrapped in rags, born in a barn, is not one of condemnation and discouragement, but a message of truth and peace and goodwill and hope. John writes, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And so the Christmas is not some cute, warm, fuzzy legend or fairy tale about a baby who was born in poverty and grew up to become a world influencer. It's an accurate description of our, the human condition as Emmanuel came into the world to save his people from their sin. We were lost, covered in sin. We were without God, without hope. Even though God was always present with us, we kept denying him. But God cared so much for us that he came to free us from that condition and that separation. And that's why John writes in his letter, for God so loved the world that he, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that's kind of where we stop with that wonderful verse John 3 16 but if you go on in verse 17 and 18 it tells you why why Jesus came for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son and so thank God for that one particular holy night because Christ came to set us free from, from death. The soul feels its worth. There's a thrill of hope. And the weary world or the weary soul rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Uh, the, the chorus of this carol teaches the reverence and worship to the one true living God. For all, fall on your knees, oh, hear the angel voice, O night divine, when Christ was born. And so Paul wrote to the church, for all generations, in Philippians 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Christ the Lord. And isn't that how we typically would respond when we are in the presence of royalty? Right? Whenever you see someone of human royal blood or position, whether it be kings or queens, a prince or princesses, a dignitaries, people bow. It's, it's, it's out of respect and proper etiquette. There's a certain respect that ought to sh be shown because of one's position. And so the Bible teaches there should be this posture of reverence when we come into the presence of God. As God told Moses, take your shoes because you, off because you stand on holy ground. And then he told the Israelites before God gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, do not touch the mountain or you will die. The mountain is holy. Why was it holy? Because God was standing on it. It also teaches us that we are to be joyful uh, and, and have this, this spirit of reverence in the presence of God. We're not to come into his presence flippantly as though he were just another thing. He is all-powerful, and we are weak in every respect. Uh, he is holy. We are imperfect in every respect. He is omniscient. We are limited in our understanding of anything. He is the ultimate judge, and we are the accused. And the very reason he gave the human race good news of great joy through the gift of his son to save his people from their sins. King David wrote this throughout the Psalms. Every one of them, not just in Psalm 5, but he says, but I, by your great mercy, O Lord, will come into, uh, will come into your house in reverence will I bow down towards your holy temple. 
In the first or second stanza of O Holy Night, it talks about the reverence of the wise men when they came to worship Jesus. It says, led by light of a star sweetly gleaming with glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. Here come the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in lonely manger in all our trials born to be our friend. Fall on your knees. And Matthew writes in his letter, after they had heard King Herod, they went on their way and the star that had been, they had seen in the east uh, was ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed and on coming to the house, that's key, this is almost two years after Jesus was born. And so Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus had already left the barn and they're living in a house. And it says, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down, and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures uh, and presented him with gifts of gold, which represented his kingship, uh, the incense, which represented his ultimate worship, and myrrh, which represented death. It's kind of interesting there. Way 30 years before he died, these gifts represented everything about his life. Here were wealthy, uneducated, and world travelers bowing down before, uh, before now little toddler that was born in a barn. Why? Because they realized who he was. There's a proper protocol of reverence when you are in the presence of King Jesus, right? When, when you read the Christmas story in Luke chapter, or Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 2 and understand who he is and why he came and what it costs him and what it's going to cost you and I, then out of reverence and thanksgiving, you and I fall on our knees before the King of kings and Lord of lords. The last verse of the song helps us understand the importance of our relationship with other people. The world. That's why it says, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. And the reason John Sullivan Dwight loved this song and translated it into English is that he was an abolitionist. He hated slavery. He, saw, he thought it was the evil, the, the evilest of all evil things. And he, he just loved this verse. Chain shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall will cease. In the name of Jesus, right? That's what this song represents. That's why this song became so popular in the northern states because it spoke out against slavery. Jesus uh, came not just to break down the divide between God and man, but to break down the hatred and division between his people. That's why Paul wrote in the Galatians uh, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Think about the people God included in that first Christmas celebration. The poor and uneducated shepherds were there, wealthy intellectual magi or what we would consider astrologers, wise men or we three kings uh, were there. The elderly were part of the birth as an 84-year-old uh, uh, um, uh, a woman named Anna rejoiced at his birth and an old prophet named Simeon held Jesus in his arms and he praised God that he was able to see the Messiah before he died. And then there was a bunch of stinky livestock present. The, the, the young and old, rich and poor, Gentile and Jew, a free and slave, educated and uneducated, men and women and animals were all present in some fashion at that first Christmas celebration. And so God loved, his love reached out to people from all walks of life. No one, no one was excluded from his gift. No one. And the way we make Christmas holy is to express love uh, to all of God's people. And if you want to please God and love his children, 
those who have been created in his image. That means ignoring the ignorance and forgiving people their sins that God has forgiven of, 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 of us of ours, putting other people's interests above our own, giving attention and worth to others who may not even deserve it as God did for you and I. For God so loved the world that he gave his son as a gift to all of mankind. And I, but I don't think that, that if, um, I don't know if this story is true about Abraham Lincoln showing his true character. We, we know a lot about him. But when the Civil War was open, Abraham Lincoln entertained a former slave at the White House. And when that slave was served a hot cup of tea on a saucer, it was the first time he'd ever seen a saucer. They, they were poor. They didn't have that kind of stuff. And not knowing what to do, he carefully poured his tea into the saucer and he drank from it. And so President Lincoln, not wanting the man to be embarrassed, poured his tea into the saucer, his saucer, and drank from the dish as well. That's a pretty cool story. And instead of humiliating us, God humbled himself and, in, the, in, the, in the flesh and became a servant of all of mankind. We, we honor him by doing the same for others. In fact, John writes, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And we're going to talk about that next week. And, and it was Jesus who said, I came to serve, not be served. That's our Savior. That's the guy who humbly came into this world, who was a king of kings and lord of lords. Another fact about this Christmas carol, 50 years later, original Fassenden, a Canadian professor that was teaching at one of the universities in Pennsylvania, did something that seemed impossible at the time. He built a generator, and he plugged in a microphone, and he spoke the first AM broadcast in the history of the world on Christmas Eve in 1906. And he, he read the entire Christmas story from Luke chapter 2 and shocked uh, radio operators on ships and telegraph operators at newspapers sat stunned uh, as, as their normal, you know, Morse code things were coming through the, the lines. Heard over speakers were interrupted by a professor reading from the Gospel of Luke. First time ever. And those who heard this broadcast were stunned at, at the, what they were experiencing, some kind of miracle, you know, hearing a voice transmitted for so, from so far away. But Professor Fessenden was not aware of what he was creating here. He had no idea of the impact this was having. He didn't know that men and women were rushing to transmitters to catch the, the, this Christmas Eve miracle. And then he took his violin out and he, he played it into the microphone the first song broadcast across the airwaves in the history of the world and the song was oh holy night the first song now i i believe you will have a new appreciation because this song and god as he brings a new day and a reason to be joyful that's why he writes a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn and I don't think any of us have to look too hard to recognize that even in the 21st century, we, as we face all the hate and division and murder and such, that it's still a weary world. Those two words precisely describe the world in which we live today. There is so much anxiety across the board, uh, what's going on in the economy and politics and world events and relationships that are just messed up. Every other person seems to have some kind of uh, serious physical or mental disease. Families are struggling. Nobody knows who they are anymore. So much confusion and lies. We can relate to the description of such a weary world. But the song moves from uncertainty and fear to a reason to rejoice. And same with the scripture that we're going to be going into here. 
It says a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Think about this particular holy night tonight because something came to bring peace on earth and goodwill to all men. It came to all the people of the world who put their hope and faith and trust in God. For centuries, they they had hoped that one day the Messiah would be born, and on that day, everything would be different and forever changed. To hear and experience and trust and develop the kind of faith that brings a thrill of hope does what for a weary world? The weary world begins to rejoice again. That's what happens. We pray, or we should be praying to God, that if, we're, if, if we have any weary world in any of us, that we will experience the thrill of hope, and inside our little weary worlds, we will find uh, the faith and the hope that is to rejoice and share that good news found in Jesus Christ. Why? Because even in the chaos and sin of this night, there is a new and glorious morning coming. So every day you wake up, every day you take a step forward, don't just think about that holy night. Think about what happens the next day when the sun comes up. The Savior has been born. And on that new and glorious morn, everything is different because one day with Christ can change your whole perspective about life. The Old Testament a book of Lamentations was written around 586 B.C. Jerusalem had fallen again into the hands of God's enemies, and the people were as distraught as you could possibly imagine again. The prophet Jeremiah, he was lamenting, he was whining and grumbling, and he was hurting along with everybody else, and he pours out his heart full of hurt and fear in this particular text. And so in this, in this letter, in 320, something happens where he moves from his mourning into a moment of faith. In 320, it says, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. He wasn't or hasn't closed his eyes to the reality before him. Uh, He's acknowledging that there's some significant life-altering difficulty that that he goes on, but he goes on to say in verse 21, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. In other words, even though I close my eyes to the heartache, uh, that the heartache will go away, I know it's still there, and so I'm going to do my best to focus on what I know brings true hope, true joy. And here it is. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions, plural, never fail. And what are his compassions? Verse 23, they are new every morning. And then he breaks out into a song or a prayer dedicated to God, Lord, great is your faithfulness. And then he goes back to reminding himself of that faithfulness in verses 24 and 26. He says, I say to my Lord, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And the reference of salvation is actually referring to Jesus Christ. And it's amazing and beautiful what a new day in Christ will bring. They didn't understand who Jesus was yet, but they knew a Messiah was coming. They just didn't know how this was all going to happen because this is hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. But oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, oh, hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. And so, church, I say to you,
do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 2,000 years in a town of David, a Savior was born to us. And he is Christ the Lord. If you found value in this message, then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six, where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts, or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.